The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with Jesus. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. When I was ordained, a clergy friend of mine gave me some advice. He said, David, sermons ought to be about two things. They ought to be about Jesus, and they ought to be about 10 minutes. Today's sermon is about Jesus, and we'll see how I do on the time thing. Today's action and the gospel takes place on a mountaintop. In scripture, mountains and mountaintops were viewed as special and holy places. In a world where God lives up there somewhere, mountaintops would bring us closer to God. Or as they say in Texas, the higher the hair, the closer to Jesus. On this mountaintop, Jesus is transfigured. Elijah and Moses, representing the law and the prophets, join him for a conversation. Jesus shines as bright as the noonday sun. And in this moment, Peter, James, and John see a glimpse of this kingdom of God which Jesus preaches about over and over and over again. Now, it's not in the gospel passage that we read today, but if you were to continue in Luke's gospel, you would find that Jesus leaves the holy mountain he descends, and at the base of the mountain, Jesus meets a father who begs Jesus to drive a demon out from his son. The disciples 
had tried and they could not remove the demon and the father was absolutely desperate. The juxtaposition is absolutely stunning. Jesus has left the radiance and the glory of his father to travel to Jerusalem to die on a cross. And the first thing he meets is a father who is frantic to save his own son. Jesus could have stayed on the mountaintop with God and Moses and Elijah where it was safe. He could have remained in glory. He could have basked in the warmth of the kingdom of God. He could have avoided the journey to Jerusalem and his death on the cross. But instead, he chooses to leave the safe place, the holy place, and to meet the needs of the world head on. He does not turn back from those needs. Having basked in the glory of God, Jesus carries the very kingdom of God with him, and he carries love. Perfect, unconditional, healing love into the world. When we come to this holy place, we too bask in the glory of God. We offer our sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. We hear the gospel proclaimed. We hear beautiful music. We are fed from a celestial feast. And when we leave this holy place, this holy hill, what do we carry with us? Do we carry the kingdom of God? Do we carry a love that will transform this world? Do we take the love of Jesus to the needs and concerns of this world? Or do we pass those needs and concerns by on our way to brunch or to the store or to a nap? I think we can learn something from Peter today. When confronted with this shining Jesus, Peter wants to build three booths to honor Jesus and Elijah and Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not the first thing that comes to my mind. But for Peter, it's pretty normal. As an observant Jew, making three booths is a way to celebrate the Feast of Sukkot. Sukkot is a Jewish festival, and it's the only one that has an explicit commandment to rejoice. Sukkot is celebrated by building booths to remind Jewish people of their time in the wilderness. Said a different way, if Peter was an Episcopalian, he probably would have said, let's put a plaque on the wall that says, Jesus transfigured here, 33 CE. There's a problem, though, with making memorials. Sometimes we can forget what the memorial means. 
We can lose the memory of the event or the person, or even worse, we can point to that memory, to that, to that event or to that person, and say, see what we did then? We don't have to do it now. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at old photos and I wonder, who are these people? Where were we when we took this? Memorials have a tendency to point us to the past. And they're not always about the present or our future. There is this interesting churchy word that I love. It's anamnesis. It is commonly translated from the Greek as memory, but it means a lot more than just that. This word is not in the gospel reading today, but we find it in 1 Corinthians when Paul talks about the Last Supper. Paul writes that Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He says something similar over the wine. Now, our Protestant forefathers and foremothers translated these words from 1 Corinthians as remembrance. They believed that communion was a memorial mill, which was a very different theology and understanding from the Catholic Mass. But it can also be translated as to make present again. And that is what I think we do here in the celebration of the Eucharist. We make Christ present again. And having made Christ present again here at this altar of God, we are then called to make Jesus present out there in the world. When we leave this holy place, this holy hill, we will meet the world head on. And we are to carry the kingdom with us. We are to carry Jesus' love with us. In Peter's first letter, we see that Peter finally seems to get it. Peter uses the transfiguration of Jesus to proclaim the prophetic message that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. He does not merely pull out a slideshow of our trip to the transfiguration. He tells his story. And dare I even say it, he evangelizes. Peter makes Jesus present again. And that, my friends, I think is what we are called to do as well. We are called to make Jesus present again, to let Jesus shine through us 
in us, around us, from us, by our love and by our service. But there is a catch to that. We are imperfect creatures, and Jesus, God help him, calls us to love other imperfect creatures. And we will love them imperfectly. But we will love them. W.H. Auden wrote a poem as I walked out one evening, and in it he has this wonderful line, you shall love your crooked neighbor with your crooked heart. No matter how crooked our hearts Christ calls us to love and to make Jesus present again. Today, I will offer the dismissal at the end of our service. You will hear me say, go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. But today, perhaps you can hear this. Go in peace the peace of God that passes all understanding and love, love imperfectly, love unconditionally, love willingly and willfully and serve those in need. Serve those with whom you disagree. Serve those who make your heart ache. For by serving them, you will serve God and you will bring about the kingdom of God. You will make Jesus present again. And if that is too much for you to remember this week, perhaps this will work instead. Let us go and love with our crooked hearts. Amen.